Hi all, you're listening to Wolfstag with me, Michael Jones. Hello everybody, welcome back. Welcome to episode two of season two of Wolfstag. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening last week. Thank you for coming back. Always a good thing when you come back. Um, so what have we got for you this week? Well, on what is the uh, autumn equinox today? Um, it is, and if you realise this, well, the day I'm recording this, actually, you might not realise it because by the time you're listening to this, it's not anymore. Um, but the day I'm recording this, it's autumn equinox, which means that the day and the night are the exact same time, uh, length in time. Uh, so we are officially into autumn. So you can probably start pulling out your woolly jumpers now and getting getting your big coats on. I'm in my element. That's 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 kind of where I live. If I could have autumn all year round, and I'm a bit weird like that, uh, but I love it for a time of year. It's beautiful. The colours in nature are beautiful, uh, and I like wearing big long coats. Um, but hey, that's just me. Um, so what have we got for this week? Well, uh, this week I wanted to have a um, I think and a talk about connections human connections and social media and where that plays into it and where it doesn't play into it. So I'm going to have a little bit of a think about that and talk about some of those bits uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Also, this week, we have a very special guest interview. And I'll keep that one under wraps for the time being, and uh, we'll introduce her later. Um, But first off, without much further ado, let's get into the Wolfstag Week. I need a proper cheesy jingle for this now, don't I? Wolfstag Week. I thought, I thought, right. I thought what I'd do is right, everything that's happened over the past week. I'll, I'll gather it all together and I'll call it the Wolfstag Week. Right, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And it's kind of nice and rhymes and stuff. So um, no, it doesn't rhyme, does it? Wolfstag and Week. What do they call it? Um, alliterative. I don't know. You know the word. Anywho, um, yeah. So I thought I'll gather it all together and we'll, we'll, we'll give it a little title, Wolfstag Week. And now I'm thinking I need. A, a cheesy jingle so if anybody can come up with one fill your boots and send it to me i'll add it in uh absolutely um so what's happened this week this past week well oh the absolute the thing i was dreading happened we had all plans at the end of this week well beginning of the next week going to spain we were going to fly to spain uh but what we hoped wasn't going to happen has happened. We are now moving into phase two. Yes, COVID two, the sequel, it strikes back. Ah, oh, typical, isn't it? Just absolutely typical. So it's postponed. Postponed, not cancelled. We're going to go as soon as the opportunity arises again, but who knows uh, when that might be. Um, that our number has gone above uh one um you know people are getting more sick if anybody saw the 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 scientists talking about it yesterday you know the rate at which is developing at the moment is going through the roof and that's not just in the uk they were talking about spain and france and stuff like that so it's just a dangerous dangerous time um to be going anywhere and not that that didn't help with the guilt feelings Oh my God! Yeah, massive amounts of guilt. You know, but having to to call it off, thinking, "Am I just? Am I jumping? They're going to be being ridiculous." Um, but the more you see what's coming out in the news at the moment, the more it feels like the absolute right thing to do at the moment is just sort of uh, hold back and do it at a, hopefully a safer time in the in the future. Um, so yeah, so it's a little bit messed up at the moment, isn't it? Really. Uh, but you know what though? Conspiracy theorists do one really do you know what it's not it's not the government trying to keep us all logged in van morrison's written a song the guy's off his head really i mean i shouldn't talk like that but do you know what come on guys get a grip um oh yeah it's it's the government wanting to keep us all it's all social control and want to keep us all locked down right okay now i'm gonna put my um criminology head on here a little bit and i'm gonna put my 
um, detective head on here a little bit and think about it, right? If you're going to say that what's happening right now is, is some sort of global government conspiracy, right? Who benefits? Who gains? Means, motive, opportunity. Means, yeah, well, science has got the means to create these things in labs. We know that. Opportunity, absolutely. They have the opportunity to, to release something and, and have it um, go through uh, the population, absolutely. Motive? I'd, what? What? Who benefits? Who benefits from keeping us all locked in? I mean, we've got more debt than ever. No one's getting anything done. You know, the kids have missed loads of school. Everything's kind of closed down and closing down again. You know, when you've got, you know, large governments around the world, the vast majority of them are, are governed by capitalist principles where they want to make money. Doesn't make sense. So is it man-made? I think by our ignorance and by our um, by our overworking of of, um, of of the land, of nature, of encroaching in areas where we shouldn't encroach, interfering with with wildlife, you know these these wet markets and stuff like that. Yeah, is it is it man made? Yeah, I think by our own foolishness we've we've made it. But is it some Bond like villain in a lab creating this stuff to take over the world? Guys, just turn Netflix off for a bit and just, you know, chill. I don't think it's that at all. So anyway, you know, it, it is what it is, isn't it? We'll, you know, we'll all get over it. We'll all get through it. You know, bulldog spirit and all that malarkey. You know, <laughs> spirit of spirit of um, of, uh, of Saint George. You know, that famous Turk who never actually visited England and fought a mythical beast. Um, but hey, we're getting through it. Um, so what else happened this week? Well. Oh, if you get an opportunity, right? They've got them all around the country, but um, we did ours in Chester. Moonlight flicks. Went to the Moonlight flicks. Um, yeah, and we went into Chester Cathedral, which is a beautiful place. I'm completely surprised me when I went in. Didn't actually go into the cathedral. They're not showing it in the church. It's not like that. Um, you you walk through for people that know Chester. There's an archway that you walk through uh, by the town hall. I'd never walked through there before. Never been through that. Completely surprised by uh, everything that was behind the walls. I, th I thought it was just the church in the ground, but no, there's there's terrace buildings and all sorts, and there's a big field outside, uh, the Dean's Field, uh, and that's where we watched it. Dirty dancing, dirty dancing, bit of swizzle, bit of swayze, pretty good. I haven't seen it in years. Um, yeah, so loved it, and was swooped by bats. That was me. That, 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 that was my evening made, really. As soon as the bats started swooping around my head, you know, bats in the belfry. <laughs> um, it, it was it was pretty cool, you know, as the, as the lights started dim, these things were, were hovering around us. Uh, but it's a good film. It's kind of, yeah, it's a bit cheesy. You know, it's not... It's not Gladiator. Could have done with a car chase. Um, but I, it was a good night. We had a laugh. It was lovely. Um, yeah, so like a good day out, good day out. Where else did I go? Bodnick Gardens, right? If for any of you in the country that's looking for somewhere to go, I don't care whether you're uh, right on our door doorstep here uh, or whether you're up in Scotland or whatever. If you ever get the chance to go to Bodnick Gardens in North Wales, it is the most beautiful place in the entire world. Stunning, helped by the fact that at the moment we've got this really amazing, lovely. September weather, and it's been touch wood, and I'll say this through gritted teeth now, it's been relatively dry, hasn't rained, long may that stay for a bit, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get a downpour eventually at some point, Thursday I think we're getting it actually, looking at the weather forecast last night, um, but it was a beautiful, beautiful weekend, and the gardens are just amazing, so they've got these really formal, ornate uh, gardens all set out, you know, as you might imagine, in a, in a National Trust site. National Trust. Get yourself signed up for it, guys. It's well worth it. Um, and, and then just these wild expanses of, of just wildlands, hills and, and streams and bits and pieces. Oh, get your boots on. Get out there. Get some fresh air in your lungs. It's, it's good for you. Brilliant. So, yeah. So, did the Moonlight Flicks. Went to Bodmint Gardens. What else did I do? Oh, I've had a bit of a sort out. 
I, do you know, I'm awful. I really am. I'm so impulsive sometimes. I, I just, I just buy stuff. Uh, Amazon is my absolute nightmare sometimes. But the one thing that I have been doing uh, is, is I fill my wardrobe up with clothes because I was getting them cheap. Oh, I love it. I love a sale. I love a bargain. Anyway, I thought it's time to have a sort out because I can't get everything in. And it got to that. What sparked it was it's that time of year when I'm sort of like moving from summer clothes to autumn clothes. So I was just jigging the wardrobe around. So, and I was going through some of the stuff as you do, getting it out of bags, taking it out of the wardrobe, swapsy swapsy. And looking at some of the stuff, thinking, I haven't worn this in in some of it years, to be honest with you, a couple of years. Some of it, one or two items, not at all. Um, so let's have a sort out. Um, do you know what? It's really good. You know, give it give it to 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 a charity who can make use of it. You know, give it to, to those who who can get use out of those clothes again. You know, because no one's made the money. Um, so, yeah, it's good to recycle. You know, we're not just recycling our plastic and our cardboard and our glass. You know, that's that's one part of it. But, you know, those those clothes, if there's still some wear out of them, you know, either completely wear them to death and repair them if they need to be repaired, or if you're never going to wear them, stick them in a charity bin. You know, give them to the Heart Foundation or give them to Oxfam or somewhere like that. You know, give them another life. It's a, it's a good thing to do. Um, so I'm going through all the stuff at the moment. I'm, I'm surrounded by all sorts of clutter and junk. So, um, yeah, need to get it sorted. Um, so that was pretty much the week, guys. It was, it was a pretty much a, an upsy-downsy kind of week, really. Um, looks like we're going to be working from home for a little bit longer. But now I'm thinking, should have, should have, should have called this. Um, Tales from a Home Worker series and two and not change it to Woolstock. No, I did the right thing. Keep it as Woolstock. It's a cool name. Um, the email address is much easier to remember as well. Um, so that's been the week, right? What have you been up to? I wanted to talk this week a little bit about connections, human connections, and social media. Sparked largely by the fact that everybody was was going on about this film on Netflix called uh, The Social Dilemma, which is worth watching. I watched it in the week, like I say, after everybody recommended it, I give it a go, and it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, for those of you that uh, are unaware of the film, it's um, like a drama documentary. And there's a lot of interviews with um, engineers, software engineers, CEOs, uh, and ex-CEOs of, of uh, social media companies. Those who are at the forefront of designing the social media they've, they've got now. Um, and a lot of them talk about the, you know, the dangers of it and the, the regrets of it uh, and where it's kind of getting out of control and going wrong. Uh, and I watched it and it put the fear of God into me. Um, now, I've got... For those who know me personally, I have a proper love-hate relationship with social media. Um, quite often, I will just delete everything. But I'm leaving. I'm leaving now. I'm, I'm I'm leaving Facebook, and I get the what again sort of comment because yeah, I do. Um, and if it wasn't for the podcast, and if it wasn't for the photography and the poetry and stuff like that, and, and trying to get that out into the world. I probably would just ditch it altogether. Um, but for me at the moment, it's, it's, it's a useful tool just to, to promote that. Um, I don't spend an awful lot of time watching that stuff anymore, you know, scrolling through. I mean, I still don't have Facebook on my phone. Uh, Twitter kind of does my not in. Um, I have Instagram. I don't mind a bit of Instagram because I like looking at pictures of nature. So it's kind of, it's cool for that. Scotland, I follow little sites that do like nature in Scotland and Scotland and all that kind of malarkey. Um, so that's kind of lovely. Um, the adverts sometimes drive you to absolute distraction, um, as do as do many adverts. Um, but it, it just gets you thinking about the, the wider situation because part of the dilemma with me, as much as I try and veer away from it, is this dilemma of, you know, do you leave? Do you just drop it and leave it to, to other people to get on with it? Or do you try and stay and improve uh, the experience on social media and lead by example, you know, and share good stuff and promote good stuff? Um 
which I get the argument for that. And that's the dilemma that I still have going on in my brain is do you stay or do you go? Um, because the times when I've tried to come back and, and use it and engage with it, um, the worst thing happens is I'll, I'll see someone who will, will make a post and I'll look through the comments underneath. Now, not, not normally with friends. You know, my, my group of friends are pretty cool. And, you know, the yeah, you do get the occasional thing where you're going, why are you sharing that? Um, remember when we used to have this thing of don't air your dirty laundry in public? Well, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, all the social media is the biggest washing line in the world, isn't it? Everybody is not only, not only airing their laundry, they're airing their dirty laundry, right? We can see the skid marks, guys. Rain it in a little bit. Um, but now it's just kind of like when you when you follow certain individuals and they share something and then you see the comments underneath. You know, if you, if you follow a, a sports team and you see some of the, the comments underneath sometimes... Um, or even kind of nature stuff that I follow, you know, like Springwatch, Chris Packham, those sort of people that can sometimes, obviously for for reasons of conservation, can get a little bit political, and then you see comments underneath. Um, and you end up, if I had hair, I would tear it out sometimes. So, yeah, I do struggle with that. But I've kind of decided that I'm going to just keep, as I posted, for those of you that do, do follow um, the, the little bit that I do on social media, I did say this week that, I will continue to post on social media, but I tend not to engage with people on Facebook or Twitter. If you want to contact me and engage and contribute to um, to the podcast and some of the things we're talking about, absolutely, I'd invite you to do that. Uh, but stick it in an email. I am woolstaggeroutlook.com. You know, you, you send it. If you, if you want to <laughs> make an argument or make a statement or something like that, write it in an email and send it to me, uh, and I'll happily read it and, and engage with that. Uh, but but social media sometimes it's just a little bit you know um, you know they use the phrase keyboard warriors don't they where it is just that kind of oh I'm just kind of blurt this out because that's where I am at the moment <laughs> uh, yeah it can it can it can drive it a little bit take a pause I always think social media should come with a pause button. You know, anytime you're about to make a post or respond to a post, you know, rather than it posting it straight away, there should be sort of like a, a 30 second pause when you hit send or post where it kind of doesn't do it straight away. You know, it takes 30 seconds and it pops back, back up and says, are you sure you actually wanted to write that? You know, just to give it a little bit of breathing time. Um but that's kind of one of the dilemmas that we live with, isn't it? It's kind of it's 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 reactionary like that. You know, it's looking for those reactionary comments. But we don't do that in the real world, do we? You know, if you've got if you're sat with a group of friends or you're in a pub and you overhear a conversation, you hear something that kind of riles you or you disagree with it. You know, we bite our lips, don't we? That's the saying, you know, bite your lip, don't say anything. Because in, in, in polite conversation, in polite society, you don't just turn around to the guy behind you and go, You're talking lots of rubbish, you. You know, what an absolute load of twaddle that is. We don't do that, you know, because we're, you know, we, we have we have manners, we have good manners. Um but we don't, you know, behaviour changes when you're online. We don't have that same level of manners. We just go blah, 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 and write and, and off it goes. And we post it and then we kind of consider the consequences afterwards. It's a weird situation. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird dichotomy that we have in our brains that, you know, we, we, we behave in two completely different ways. But I'm still going to, like I say, I'm still going to engage with it. I'm still going to post stuff out there um, and share stuff. And if anybody wants to, you know, engage, you know, if, even if there was something a bit controversial that was written, properly engage in a conversation. It doesn't have to be a slanging match. We've kind of lost the art of argument. You know, much to our detriment, much to the world of politics' detriment, is we've 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 lost the art of being able to have a a, a solid, thought out conversational argument. Now we just have slanging matches. We've become we've become very polarized in our views. You know, you're either very this or very that, and 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 to sit in the the middle, which is sometimes you know that's that's an okay place to be. Sometimes it's in the middle. Being able to pull from both views and taking the best, but no, you've got to be one or the the other. Haven't you? You've got to be black or white. You've got to be up or down. You've got to be left or right. You know, you know, you can't be you know a, a, you know many gray shades in the center. 
as much as that would do as the world of good to do that. But anyway, so that's that. That's part of my little struggle with social media as well. The other thing as well, because I work in um, I work in a youth charity, uh, and I'm a trainer, educator, tutor, call it what you will. Um, you know, and I, I see the dangers that are posed to, to, to young people using social media. Now, one of the things that I concluded from, from thinking about this, and I've, I've delivered cyber safety training, so it's part of my mindset is to think about social media and the effects and the psychological effects. Social media is like alcohol, right? That's what the, that's the conclusion that I've come to with it. Social media is like alcohol, okay? It's fine if you use it with moderation. Don't use it too much. Don't use it too long. Don't be on it for eight hours a day, right? Because it's going to be detrimental, okay? And don't let your kids near it, okay? And if you think of if you think of Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or any of those, like a bottle of vodka, right? So next time, if your parents out there or even yourselves and you're thinking, social media, how should I treat it? Treat it like a bottle of vodka, and if your instinct is to neck a bottle of vodka several times a day, you probably need more help than I can provide <laughs> or social media can offer you at the moment. All right. So if, you, if you've got a healthy relationship with, with anything that can be addictive, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, alcohol or smoking or, or, or drugs, legal or, or illegal for that matter, you know, if you've got a healthy relationship with that, social media should fall into that same category. Okay. The other thing that you see as well is is one of the other things that we need to understand around social media is, right, we have, for as much as we are technologically advanced, we do amazing, amazing things, and technology is, is advancing, you know, beyond our recognition. I was walking around Curry's PC world yesterday, and for a moment I thought, I wish I could bring my 10-year-old self into this shop and see some of the things that we take for granted now. You know, the array of thin laptops and smartphones and smart watches and these TVs, massive, massive televisions that are as thin as a book and can just hang on your wall like a picture. My 10-year-old brain, and sometimes I tap back into my 10-year-old brain. It's not a bad thing to do. It's not being childish. It's being childlike. If you can, uh, if you can approach the world with a childlike state of mind, sometimes you really recognize and understand the, the wonders of the world around you. So I, I do that now and again as I just tap into my 10-year-old self. He would have lost his mind. He would have lost his absolute mind in a place like that and looking at the technology that we've got now. And that's been, blimey, I'm approaching a birthday um, in a couple of years. So it's been <laughs> nearly 40 years since my 10-year-old self, which makes me stop and think, well, if we've gone from that level of technology in that space of time, what's it going to look like in the future? You know, you know, what are the 10-year-olds now when they're near my age in the future? What are they going to be walking around a Curry's PC world or a virtual store or whatever it might be at that point. Who knows how it goes, you know? You know, but what, what advances are going to be made there? You know, and it's incredible. It's, a, it's fantastic, but sometimes it's a little bit Jurassic Park, isn't it? You know, we, we, we're so engaged and overawed by whether we could do something. We didn't stop to think about whether we should do something. Now, a lot of it is beneficial, and again, treat it like alcohol. You know, you know, if if you use it correctly, it can be a, it can be a good thing. It can be a, um, a you know a beneficial thing in in some cases, um, but absolutely, you know, you've got to be careful with that, and you've got to you've got to take caution around it. The other thing to bear in mind as well is is for all of our technological advances, you know, we we still have this primitive brain. We we are now. Here's the thing, guys. Right. We are cavemen still. We are truly cavemen in a 21st century world. And as much as we like to say we've got, um, you know, cognitive ability and intelligence and we can, you know, we can learn, we can study, we can do all these amazing things, there's still a part of our brain that is primitive and reacts at a primitive level, right? You know, even the most intelligent 
um, educated person will run and jump on a chair screaming at the sight of a mouse. Completely irrationally, it's a mouse, right? We still have those anxieties when caught in, in, in traffic jams. You know, when there's absolutely nothing we can do about it, you know? And, and our intelligent brain should say, why are you getting yourself anxious about these things? Because it's completely out of your control. You're not in any danger. You know, what will be will be. Just, you know, let's let that thing happen. But we have our primitive brain, our reptilian brain, you know, this limbic part of our brain that just reacts, you know, on these on these levels. Now, part of this this primitive brain also is, is bear in mind that um, primitive, also primate. Um, I love going to the zoo. I love going to Chester Zoo. And one of the biggest things I love going to see when I'm in Chester Zoo is 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 the chimps. Now we are still. Let's be honest here, guys. You know, as much as we like to think we're a higher human being, we are a stone throw away still from being those. Um, you know, those those apes, those cavemen. Uh, and as much as we like to think we're advanced beyond that, you know, at emotional levels, we're really not. Now, part of those. Um, those primitive uh, uh, primate behaviours is is tribal behaviours. We are not meant to be isolated. You know, we're not meant to live in isolation. We are supposed to live in groups. We're supposed to be supported by, you know, a wider group. You know, we are hierarchical as well. You know, and, and this is not to forgive it. I, I, I stop sometimes and wonder... Is that where bullying comes from, particularly in children? And well, in adults as well, there's bullying that happens. Is it this um, pecking order that, that that happens? And bullying is is this innate human nature to put everybody in their place from top to bottom, which doesn't excuse it by any means. I'm not excusing bullying. Please don't, you know, please don't think that's what I'm doing here. But I, I wonder if that's what drives it. And I wonder if that's, you know, that's where it comes from. That's how it's how it's created it's our it's our primeval brain saying we need to put ourselves into a hierarchy um we've got enough smarts about us now to actually recognize that and, and, and work through that and, and uh, you know and get over it but still our brain is drawn towards these these connections now the problem that we have is social media came along and said Look at the way you can connect with friends. Look at the way you can connect with people. You can connect with people from around the world. And absolutely, you know, we can do that. And in, and in some respects, that is absolutely a brilliant thing to do. If you've got family members that live in Canada or Australia or whatever it might be, you know, brilliant. This year, uh, you know, has, has also shown the benefits of, of, of being able to do that as well. You know, when we've been in lockdown, we've been locked in our houses, we've not been able to go out, being able to still, you know, connect with people. Um, I won't say virtually, because that'd be like saying picking up a telephone and having a telephone conversation is a virtual world. It's not. It's just a way of communicating. So Zoom and FaceTime is just an alternative way of communicating. Um, and it's been really beneficial. But the problem is, again, like alcohol. We use it as we need to use it. We use it in moderation. We've used it because we need to use it. But what we absolutely shouldn't be doing is thinking of that as a complete re replacement for true flesh and blood face-to-face -face connections because our caveman brain doesn't recognize a conversation on a phone or a laptop or a tablet as a human connection. You can be speaking to thousands of people on your devices. You can have a thousand friends across your social media. But if you're only engaging with people on that on that level, your brain's telling you you're isolated. You can you can have great friendly conversations and relationships, but if you're not meeting with people face to face and being in their company and sharing things, then your brain is telling you you're lonely and you're gonna suffer from that. Your, ment your mental state is going to suffer from that. So get out into the world. Start speaking to people. I know it's, it's, it's difficult at the moment with everything that's going on. And yeah, it looks like we're heading back into, you know, these lockdown scenarios. But where you can, you know, engage with your friends, you know, at, at that level, truly 
you know, in the same room, in the same space, you know, do it and take advantage of that. Technology is fantastic, but let's be honest, it's no replacement. So this week on Wolfstag, I had uh, the opportunity and the pleasure to actually sit down uh, with a colleague, with a friend of mine, who is also known as the urban environmentalist, uh, Becky Mooney. And this is how that chat went. So welcome to the Wolfstag podcast, the urban environmentalist, YouTuber, Facebooker extraordinaire, Becky Mooney. Why, thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you as a, as a, as a guest on the show. Okay. Don't get many guests, so <laughs> thank you. I'm one of a select few. Select few. Well, thank you for gracing us with your presence. So, <laughs> so tell us, Urban Environmentalist, tell me what it's all about. So I set up the Urban Environmentalist during lockdown. It's one of the things that I've kind of always wanted to do is do my own little side project. So previous to working where I do at the minute, um, I used to work for a variety of zoological collections um, in the Northwest region, which I absolutely adore. I adore wild animals, I enjoy the outdoors. And so it just seemed kind of a natural fit to do my own little thing to try and engage the public in the great outdoors and especially during lockdown there was this whole you can't go outside yeah access nature and i think that's one of the most important things for us to be able to to do is to access nature to help with our mental health and to help with our well-being in general so i just found it very hard to deal with the fact that we'd be told not to go outside um, and then that was also having a massive negative effect on people's mental health and people's overall well-being. So I wanted to, to bring nature indoors to make people um, feel like they could access nature, even if they were stuck inside in a tower block or they only had a balcony, and they could access nature and make like bird feeders, bumblebee houses, and it was a way of bringing nature indoors, basically, for them. Right, because I was going to ask you about this when you say bringing nature indoors. We've got a thought of a trail of sort of like biscuits, leading foxes through the front door or something like that. Come on, Badger. We were regular Snow White, just bringing all the animals inside. No, it was more to try and, like, for example, one of the um, episodes that we did online in partnership with the organisation of the pool was to build your own teepee hut. Now, kids love teepee huts. Yeah. It's one of the cool things that they do outside. You can go to like woodlands and build your own outdoor teepees. But um, obviously, it's very hard to do that when you're not really allowed to go outside. So yeah. I said, why not bring that inside? That could be your own little teepee hut that you can build out for yourself for the kids. You could have it all themed with nature inside. You could decorate it with leaf bunting. You could have animals like printed out and put on the inside. And you could do stories about each of the animals. Um, so you could turn it into whatever you want. It could be a little like imagination dome, really. So that's why I decided to do that. And it looks rather fun. I did that live, which was interesting. Oh, right. So we still with your live stream this one. Oh, yeah. Which is always a challenge. Yeah, it is. Live TV. <laughs> Look, they say don't work with animals, don't work with children, and don't do live TV. And I kind of do all three of them. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well, if, you, if, yeah, if you're going to do it, do it properly. So, what, I mean, what got you interested in that in the first place? So whilst I was at university, I studied animal behaviour and that was just kind of, it fascinated me why animals do certain things, why, how animals interact with humans, how we interact with them, how we interact with the natural world. Um, and since then, obviously, my career path has taken me along the lines of public engagement, working with communities and schools um, to teach them about the natural world. So it kind of just seemed like a natural fit. It was just the perfect way to go. And of course, with COVID, everyone was not being able to access that. And I just wanted to make it a bit more accessible to everybody. And I just, I'm just fascinated by the outdoors and what it can offer us um, in terms of, like I said, our mental health, our well-being. Yeah. And I think just being able to get out and active, I just love the outside. Yeah, because this is one of the things I'm a big advocate of, you know, in the, with the work that I do and the stuff that I, you know, look to do and promote and part of what I talk about with the podcast as well as this idea of self-care so important yeah and the self-care i mean i think the biggest thing for me because when people think about self-care they think oh well you know eat right get enough sleep do enough exercise da, 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 da. you know and they never really truly give enough consideration i think to connection that's it we're pushed through so much on social media you should be doing 30 minutes of exercise a day and all of this but exercise doesn't have to be going to the gym 
or doing stuff like that, lifting weights, that kind of thing. It could be literally taking a walk outside and stop, look and listen around. Yeah. People forget so often just to stop, to look and to listen because that is just one way of being able to kind of zone back into yourself, think about your surroundings and really just phase out everything that's been going on in your day that maybe is stressing you out. Yeah. And you've got the beautiful surroundings to be able to do that in. People just don't often think about doing that in the day and that self-care routine is yeah. so important to like kind of implement into your life. Yeah, getting out when you've got a lunch break or, yes. you know, 10 minute break, you know, you finish your little task, your little Zoom meeting, whatever it is. Don't just go and make yourself a brew. Get yourself through through the front door. Just go for a walk or something. And there's some amazing... I mean, we're lucky where we are. I mean, we live... For those who, who are listening to this in the wider world at the moment, uh, we're in Cheshire. And we have some of the most amazing countryside and wildlife around here. And Delamere Forest, yes. Delamere Forest. Oh. We have uh, loads of National Trust places on our doorstep you've got you know Cumbria and the Yorkshire Dales and the Peak District literally like an hour's down the road so we're really fortunate but I mean even if you live in a built-up area you know if you live in a city or somewhere like that there's always green spaces you can you can find and engage with that's it that's where the urban environmentalists come from because where I live I actually live in Liverpool and um, just a, about 40 minutes away from Cheshire and I live in a very built-up, very urban environment where, yes, I do have quite a big local park not far away from where I live, but the majority of areas surrounding me are very much main roads and buildings. It's all of that kind of stuff. So I don't have too much green space immediately on my doorstep. But when I took the time to actually look around, there is so much greenery, there is so much wildlife, so much um, habitat there that animals do utilise that. And it's just amazing when you get that chance to actually look around and go oh i didn't even realize that was there oh that little green space yeah. that'd be perfect to plant some wildflowers look at all of these bumblebees that are suddenly turning up so yes you just it's just even in urban environments there are ways in which we can make it more accessible for nature and we can engage with the environment even in like i said even in an urban environment yeah and what i discovered as well even if you're struggling to find somewhere natural a bit of you know um, garden or parkland in your in your area um the ordnance survey now if you listen to this in the uk you can download this for free um if you're outside you, you'll have to find your your alternatives to that but you can download the ordnance survey app yeah. and they can tell you exactly where all your green spaces are and you don't even have to subscribe for that you can you, know, you can just do that for free and you'll be surprised the amount and I was completely shocked when I looked in my local area on the map where it mapped out all the green spaces. Because even though it, we do live, you know, on the doorstep of, of a rural place, mm -hmm. it's still kind of still a built up, you know, town, busy yeah. industrial town around here. And you kind of go, I didn't realise there was... Another good tip I always find is even like using things like Google Maps. So if you go on Google Maps and you click to go to your location, you zoom out. On Google Maps, it shows you all of the green, it's like green shadows. Yeah. And that shows you all of the green spaces around and you can zoom in and it could like say, oh look, there's, for example, Seton Park or there's Sudley Fields. And you can zoom into all of these small green spaces and go, I didn't even realize that green space was there. And you could go and plan a day's walk to this, to where these all, all these little green spaces are and be like, I'm gonna go find out all of these amazing little green spaces in my urban environment. And there was a campaign a little while ago called Grab That Gap. And you could go out and you could essentially grab a gap, grab a space of land oh, okay. that wasn't used by anybody. Um, and you could plant wildflowers on it. You could you could make that area more accessible for nature, more better for the environment. And you could reclaim that as such and turn it back into like a nature, a thriving nature of natural habitat. So this is, would you recommend Googling this then to make sure you're not just turning up? Yeah, and, um, don't just rock up and say, yeah, I'm going to steal this piece of land. With me spade and me bag of seeds. Yeah, I think the council might have something to say about that, but you can, it is, a, it is um, an actual event that you can take part in. Um, it's called Grab That Gap. I think it's BR's of British and Irish Zoological Association who run that. Um, and I used to do that through the zoological collections that we that I've worked in previously. Um, so that's a really, really big campaign just to try and allow local spaces to kind of almost be turned back into a natural place really for, for animals and for for natural animals and yeah. insects, all that kind of stuff. I like that because I've seen a few campaigns recently talking about, you know, the decline of bees. 
Oh, so much. Yeah, about across the British, you know, countryside and, and, and the whole sort of like, you know, British environment, really, and how they were talking about building these wildlife corridors. And if you can just have, even in your own little gardens, your back door spaces, front door spaces, window boxes, even. That's it. Plant your wildflowers, attract your bees, your butterflies, your other bugs and insects. Well, it's so important because not alone... I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like bugs. I don't want more bugs in my garden. But bugs are a really, really important species for other animals. Because if you think in the grand scheme of things, if you look at food chain, they, yes, they're the bottom of the food chain, fairly low to the, to the food chain, but they will be a food source for so many other animals, so many higher animals um, up that food chain. So if you break part of that food chain down and say remove all of the bugs, what are those other animals going to eat? You're then going to lose those animals, which are actually the animals that maintain our habitats and keep everything kind of in ship shape. And then the whole environment is going to go to pot. Yes. As everybody knows, the environment's not doing amazing at the moment. And if anybody did watch the David Attenborough program, yes. Extinction of the Facts. That was a tough watch. It's a hard program to watch, but it made it, it was such a great program because it made what's happening now with the pandemic and COVID-19 so relevant to our daily actions yeah. and how much that we encroach onto animals' natural spaces by doing things like deforestation and habitat loss. We are then making those animals come into closer contact with ourselves. So animals like bats who have been linked to the spread of COVID because we're taking up their habitat, they're coming closer to us and spreading their diseases to us. And um, so it just shows that we have to respect the planet a little bit more and then these start like type of events should become less frequent yeah. and it's not too late we can all help we can all do our bit we can all use less energy we can all try and um, walk more instead of driving more that kind of stuff there's so many simple things that we can do to try and reverse all of the things that have been going wrong so yeah it's a fun world we live in at the minute. Yeah, it really is. It's, I mean, and it was it was a completely fascinating show. And that connection, I mean, when you the one thing that struck me, and I think I mentioned it on on this week's episode anyway, is this idea about you know the COVID epidemic that we've got being man made. Now, straight away, you know, the conspiracy theorists are going, yes, it was a lab and like a Bond villain, and they're doing it to control the world. I was kind of like, no. The argument is, no, it's just our encroachment in areas where. We shouldn't be going. We shouldn't be going. We don't belong there. Stay out of it. Or the wet markets that were going on and this, you know, the the animals that were in the cages, that was kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's unbelievable when you kind of delve a little bit deeper into like the wet market side of things and, and the bush meat trade and the illegal wildlife trade. And it is it's absolutely heartbreaking. And some of the things that I've been exposed to in my previous careers, it really does kind of home into you how animals are so poorly treated by humans, how we abuse nature, how we really just take everything for granted. Yeah. And with the wildlife trade, for example, rhino horn, like they said in the in the documentary, that's the most expensive commodity on the planet. And all a rhino's horn is, is the same stuff that your hair and your fingernails are made yeah, of. It's just keratin, isn't it's it? It's keratin. So essentially, um, people who trade in this product are essentially buying your hair and your fingernails yeah. and for, for no reason it has no medicinal benefits but unfortunately a lot of um, products in the wildlife trade are used for status symbols people think they've got medicinal properties and um, not at the case at all yeah. um, it's proven scientifically proven it has no medicinal properties but unfortunately it's a lot of tends to be over in the far east a lot of businesses and a lot of people nowadays use it as a status symbol mm -hmm. so people will trade in animal parts and say well you should come into business with us as an organization because look i've got uh, a monkey's head i've got a rhino's horn this makes us seem like we're the most amazing business people in the world yeah and from a western point of view that is whew, you'd instantly step away from something like that but over in the far east that is seen as kind of almighty power yeah um so it's it's a very difficult system to try and change and approach it is very very difficult but hopefully by people starting to learn a little bit more like watching these type of documentaries and understanding what the issues is with this wildlife trade and how the trade in bush meat for example is affecting affecting the populations as well because people will go out and like it was in the wet markets, you saw there was bats in those um, yeah. cages, there was um, bears, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and people do eat these animals and we're not really meant to. <laughs> That's yeah. where the diseases come from, unfortunately. 
um, and it's what we call zoonotic diseases, so that can be passed from an animal to a human and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the wet markets and the wildlife animal, the wild animal trade is just a huge, huge problem at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it even stopped a major thing about even, you know, with that stuff that's going on in Asia, even our own behaviours, you know, the cattle that we're talking about, the beef market at the moment, you know, yeah. I mean, you really stop and think, you know, we, people talk an awful lot about vegetarianism and veganism and you know, the politics and stuff behind that. And then you watch a program like that and you think, well, do you know what? This is potentially planet saving stuff here by putting down the burger and having a halloumi fry instead of something. Give me all the halloumi fries. <laughs> I will happily. Who do doesn't that. love a halloumi fry at the end Come of the day? On. Yeah. It's true. Like, um, for about a year and a half, maybe two years ago now. It was February and I decided, what could I do? And I would sit there and I would talk to young people every day about the problems deforestation was happening, about um, how bad the meat industry is for, for the globe, really, for the world. And I was like, I'm the biggest carnivore going. What yeah. on earth? I, I need to practice what I preach. So I thought, let's see if I can go the shortest month of the year. Yeah. <laughs> let's see if I can do it. Because those two days will make a difference. Exactly. Mentally, it worked. And so I said, let's not eat. Eat for a whole month. Yeah. And I actually did it. And That's then I carried it on. And now I don't see, like, if I'm trying to cook a meal or if I'm wanting to find something to, to make to eat of an evening, I'll go, what can I make that, that, I don't have to have meat in because I don't really need it. Yeah. I, I noticed after going a month without it, I was like, I haven't actually missed it. So why am I continuously telling myself I've got to have meat every day? Yeah. I, I don't need to. So I was trying other supplements like corn and um, soya and um, tofu. And I actually found those products hold flavor a lot better than actual meat does. Yeah. So I now prefer vegetarian food. I'm not vegetarian or vegan, but I do say the lovely term. I'm using inverted quoting marks. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you can't see this, you isn't it? You can't see me. She's, she's doing the bunny rabbit ears. The bunny rabbit ears, um, the flexitarian. So I will opt more for a vegetarian option. Than a flexitarian? Yes, it's the new hip, um, hip, Ah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. That. Yeah, because I kind of I can get on. I can get on board with that because yeah, like you, I I I love a piece of meat. I love a yeah. steak. I love a nice piece of roast lamb. And there is nothing wrong with eating meat either. It's just me eating it within the quantities that the world can handle. Yeah. If we like, it was a documentary that we, that was on TV, and it said how if everybody in the world ate as much meat as the Americans did, yeah. then there would, would not be enough meat to sustain the planet. Yeah. And we wouldn't have enough water because there's a huge amount of water that has to go into rearing cattle. There would just not be enough yeah. to sustain the planet. So we'd run out of food and water very, very quickly. See, we've got into the habit of, of I mean, you, you go back sort of like generations back. You know, I, mean, I speak to my folks and they say, you know, at, at Christmas time we had, you know, a, a cape on a chicken, for, for Christmas Day, we'd have turkeys, you couldn't afford turkey. Yeah. So we had this nice bird and that was a treat. And meat was more of a treat. More of a luxury. More of a luxury, but now it's become a staple. And I think maybe we should stop thinking about meat as a staple. I mean, I wouldn't want to give it up. Don't take it for granted. Yeah. That's it. But it's now, if I... It, well, yeah. If I think about cutting down now on meat, what I can say is, well, if I'm not buying as much meat, I can spend a little bit more money and get a quality piece, an organic piece of meat, somewhere where I can trace where it's come from. So I know it's come from, you know, an ethically reared source. That's it. And it's always then, if you're saving a little bit of money by reducing your meat consumption, you can always go to a local producer. For example, I know there's a local local farms in, in there's a farm that I used to work at, um, one of my very first jobs, and they rear all of their own animals, and then they also send their own animals to slaughter, and then we'll sell their own animals in their, in yeah. their on-site shop. And so I will go there and decide to choose meat from that place because the animals have grown up there, they I know how they've been raised, yeah. and I'm willing to pay that little bit extra money that I've saved from reducing my meat consumption and get, like you said, a quality piece of meat where I know its history, I know where it's come from, know how it's been treated, and I know that I'm not having as much impact on the planet that way. Yeah. So it's it's an easy thing to do. It's just trying to get that into everyday practice. Yeah. And trying to get people to 
to instill that in their life rather than just going for the easy option of there's Asda, Tesco, Sainsbury's, no one in particular's shelf. Well, we're happy to do it in other aspects of our life. I mean, we're happy to go out and spend money on a brand new iPhone. Exactly. You know, when a smaller phone, a cheaper phone would do, or we'll pick we'll pick up the expensive one or the expensive bottle of beer rather than the four for a pound. By the way, I'm not buying four for a pound <laughs> beers, by the way. But you get the idea is, you know, we, yeah. we make those choices in our life elsewhere to to get the, the quality items and pay a little bit more for it but we tend to not think about food in the same way and that should be yeah, something we start doing it's, it's our relationship with food our relationship with the environment and when you when you well we will start to feel the consequences it will start to pinch on our purse strings the environment will start to suffer and we can see the effects of, of everything that's happening on the planet. We can see the massive changes in weather that we're having, the heat waves that we've had, with the snowstorms that we have in the winter, or the rain that we had, especially in the UK, suffering with massive amounts of flooding. Yeah. Again, that is a huge problem in terms of like habitat loss and deforestation. When if you remove trees out of the environment, trees are one of the main sources that will help stop flooding. So where there has been a lot of like for example, new build houses that have been built or councils have chopped down trees in certain areas. Bet you any money, if you were to look into that more deeply, you'd see that there was a huge amount of habitat degradation that's gone on in that area that has then resulted in it turning into a more flood-prone area. Yeah. So... Bit of a bugbear of mine. In, yeah. in, back in the old days, I used to work in, in, in mortgages and, and, you know, oh. properties and stuff like that. And, you know, you'd see housing developments on these greenfield sites when there's plenty of brownfield sites, you know, especially, you know, you, you live where you live, we live here. You, yeah. you know full well there's loads of places where there's, you know, it used to be a factory or it used to be. That's it. And they could absolutely totally build on there, but it's not pretty. Yeah. So they'd rather build somewhere where there's woodland and, yeah. and a bit of scenery. Well, that's it, especially in the, at the minute there's a place um, called Sefton Park Meadows and the council best friends mm -hmm. have been after that land for years to sell on to property developers and there is a it's two plots of land right next to the Sefton Park area and it's the place where I grew up going conquer collecting and yeah. everything and just going out and enjoying the lovely autumn weather and they are trying to massively sell that plot of land off and there has been uproar from local residents for years because it is a beautiful natural spot for young people to go for families to go anybody to go and enjoy the outside and the, the outdoors and they're desperate to sell it off because they know they're going to get a pretty penny for it and they shouldn't build on it. it it's no. That's land that was given to the community, given to the people of Liverpool to enjoy the natural environment. Yeah. And it would be a massive tragedy if that does go, but it just shows a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of councils do think more of money than they do think of the natural environment. Yeah, yeah. And it's that real sort of issue at the moment, that real sort of, you know, um, dichotomy that we have of preserving the natural environment, but, you know, when the budgets are being cut, they're finding other ways, but they, they need to stop and realize that this green land is not just a pretty thing to have on your doorstep it serves a bigger purpose it does it so serves a bigger purpose it serves a bigger purpose for mental health for well-being for physical exercise and that is some of the top things that local councils and, and the government at the minute are trying to instill in us they're saying we should be getting out getting active especially after covid yeah. a lot of people maybe have had a few too many one too many biscuits don't know what you mean we're <laughs> not breathing in <laughs> you eat your biscuits and you enjoy them <laughs> but taking away those green spaces you're, you're yeah essentially stopping people from doing what you want them to do so it's it's a fine balance and i do understand that there are lots of cuts in the government and trying councils and trying to find ways in which they can bring somebody back to provide local services but there are other ways to do it and to take back to take these green spaces back into their hands it's not right it should be freely accessible those park spaces were given to the people of liverpool and they shouldn't be taken away they are used so often you see so many families on there and it would just be such a tragedy. And as me, as the urban environmentalist, it's one of the kind of resources that I use so much. Yeah. Like recently, I did a tree ID sheet, and that absolutely went down a storm online. I sent it out to loads of people. I had 70,000 people um, access the, the sheets on my Facebook page. And 
So I would go out into my local park, into those meadows, and I'd look around at the trees and go, what trees do I have in my local area? Identify them, put the leaves onto a sheet of paper, and then what people will do is they'll go out with their families on a walk with the young children, and they'll fill in what the tree leaves are, they'll ID the trees, and they'll take them off. So it's a really fun activity to do for, for young kids. And yeah, that if, if all of that goes, then the urban environmentalist will not be happy. <laughs> She'll be there with her pitchfork and her sign saying, you give me back my green space. <laughs> and it's brilliant that you encourage the kids to get involved in this because this is where, you know, it, it's going to it's gonna be with the kids. That, that, that it really, is their future. They're the future. They're going to carry this forward. I don't want to get a little bit sort of like, we are the world here right now. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Right, I'm not. I'm not sung on on this show because now I'm not going to start now. Challenge um, accepted. <laughs> right, I'm going to change tack a little bit here now. Oh, interesting. Tell us about your boat. My boat, HMS Pocahontas. So <laughs> she is. She's a gem. She's a recent purchase of the urban environmentalist, and for God knows how long I've wanted to get my own kayak, but. I can't afford a big solid kayak, so I went and got myself an inflatable. And she is the bee's knees. She's bright orange, and we take her out whenever we can, go for lovely little paddles up and down canals, and we do canal cleans. All right, I was going to say, I was going to say where do you sail her, but is that the right term? Do you, do you sail a paddle? paddle. You no, paddle a paddle, paddle boat, you don't sail a paddle boat, do you? And I'm just going to clarify, I have a license, I have a life jacket at all times, as I know they are legal requirements for having a paddle session. You need <laughs> so, a license for a paddle session? Well, you have to have, um, it's like a river, canal river license. Oh, okay. So you have to be able to, and I don't mind paying for it, some people don't, um, but I see it as a privilege to be able to use and access such beautiful waterways and all the money that you pay for your license, it's like, I say all the money, it's like 50 quid for the year. Yeah, yeah. And you pay that and it goes straight back into the waterways to help improve them, to help keep them keep them running, basically. Yeah. Um, and so what we do as the environmentalist, we take our kayak out, we go up and down the local canals and we do canal cleans. So the same way you have a beach clean or you go out to your park and you do a litter pick, we just do it, but we're aquatic. So I build, I can make my own fishing nets out of some old bamboo canes, a coat hanger and some old tights. And I will take them out with me and I will just go along the canal and if I see any rubbish, pick it up and then I put it in the bin where it should go. Because guys, if you've ever heard of a bin, that's where your rubbish belongs, not in a canal. Real bugbear for me because oh, where yeah. we are in Ellesmere Port, we've got the, the uh, Shropshire Union Canal. That, that I mean, yeah. we are Ellesmere Port because we are the port of Ellesmere. We're also, when you think about Manchester, Manchester's famous as, as being uh, a... Manchester Shipping Canal. Yeah, it's famous as being a seaport and it's completely inland and, and yeah. we, are, we are the mouth of it. Um, and I'll go walking around there, it's lovely, but for years and years and years, the whole area has been basically abused people tipping all sorts of rubbish in there and, and you know it's been it's been you know an awful thing to see happen it's getting better they're cleaning it up but once people have become more aware and it's more public knowledge and you're seeing a lot more now especially like with the david Attenborough documentaries and you saw blue planet and how litters of microplastics for example are affecting our oceans and people are now clicking on and going oh actually there's a load of plastic in my area there's a load of rubbish in my area should that be there well, no, I've been told on the, on the TV it shouldn't. So it's now starting to sink in, and especially a lot of young people who I've worked with previously are all are very much hot on the topic now. And the environment for young people is much more of a hot issue. If you look at like Greta Thunberg and all of um, the issues surrounding with hair and how the environment is becoming more in the forefront of young people's minds. And um, so we're getting there slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. Um, but they are, the young people will have, are the, environmentalists of tomorrow really and i think we are going to have a massive push especially with how much it is in the forefront of everyone's mind at the minute that's been brilliant now before you go if people want to get involved want to follow you online okay. how do we find you so you can easily find me um, mainly on facebook i do have an instagram page <laughs> i'm rubbish on instagram i'm getting <laughs> better guys i'm getting better i'm going to give you some lessons you know yeah yeah i really need some but um, if you type in on Facebook, the Urban Environmentalist, it will come up there. My logo is a little green tree with binoculars and it says the Urban Environmentalist underneath. So you can access like loads of free resources on there. There's like bird ID sheets. You can see short videos on how to make your own bird feeders, bumblebee hotels, pollination stations. There's a whole host of different activities, whether it's through video or um, like uh, electronic resources, like ID sheets, that kind of stuff. 
got me on Instagram. I do have a YouTube as well and a Twitter, but I'm a bit slow on the get-go there. <laughs> well, um, I will be doing live videos again, hopefully, once everything's calmed down and I've kind of know when I can slot it all in and stuff. So yeah, life's taken over recently, but I'll be back on with the live session soon. As John Lennon said, life is what happens while you're busy making plans. That is true. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna post all your links on on my socials anyway, and you can find them guys if you want to log on to www.wolfstag.net. Nearly forgetting the address for it then. Yeah. It's in there somewhere. I'll post them on there. Um so you can find those links on there. Becky, thank you for your time. It's been lovely. Loved every minute. Thank you, thank you. No worries. See you soon. Bye. And there you have it. That's it for another week, everybody. Thank you for listening as always. I really do appreciate it. If you have any comments, thoughts, suggestions, stories, confessions, I keep asking for confessions. Go on, send me a confession. Um, you can get me um, at I am Wolfstag at Outlook.com. Uh, if you head over to my website, www.wolfstag.net, do people still say www. Do you still need to? Anyway, that's what it is. Um, head over there. Uh, you can find ways of engaging with me there. Um, you can you can see the photography. You can you can um, see some examples of the poetry. Um, I've been writing this week. I've been doing some more writing. I'm working on a second book. So please go out and buy the first one. <laughs> oh, go on, please. Um, but yeah, you can you can check out the website, and um, you, if if that's easier, you can you can actually contact me uh, via a form on the page because it's all very fancy and, and brand new and lovely. Uh, and I've been doing some because I've been out and about recently. I've been doing some photography, so I'm actually going to start putting some more galleries of some new stuff up there soon. So watch this space. Um, but again, thank you for listening. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I will speak to you all again next week. Cheers, guys. Bye. <laughs>